Okay. All right. So really quick, who can I have like two people share out like what they thought of the exercise and just any comments? Yes, go ahead. I thought it was really cool because at one point we got this thing and it had like kind of opposing ideas. And I'm like, well, this is interesting. Like, I like both of these, but like they don't agree. And then Wade was like, well, I feel like that's kind of the point. We, feel, <laughs> we, see, we see where we're at and we don't necessarily think the same way, but we can share our ideas. It was really like peaceful and like, yeah, we can totally like disagree about things, but we can learn from what we think. And a lot of these things I've never talked about with people here before, which is mm. really cool. Yeah, okay. we actually got a chance to do Yeah. Amen. Amen. Who else? Anyone else? Like to share? Sure, Becca, go ahead. I think like um, how low some of these words were, like I've been like in our group we were kinda of like, okay, prejudice versus discrimination. Like mm. at one point are you doing this? Can you have one without the other? And I think I kinda of took for granted like how close some of these words are and almost how connected mm-hmm. they are. Um, and I think also I kind of appreciated having time to define all this stuff because some stuff I feel can be treated more like a buzzword unless like a conversation piece. Yeah. Um, so I think I just appreciated having a, for like a better word, safe setting to kind of hash through all this stuff, not just throw terms at each other. Yeah. And just be like, okay, this is what I think this is and to kind of work through that. So yeah. Absolutely. I saw another hand over here. I yeah. Was say, like, there's certain words that I actually personally have come across before. Okay. I was interested to hear examples stated, you know, as, you know, to the point without frame that relates to my mind. Okay. Amen. Any other thoughts? Yeah, sure. I mean, even just what we were talking about a little bit ago, mm-hmm. just for everyone else to kind of hear. Uh, just how our definitions can change over time and like how our experiences or where we live and things like that can kind of what we think now could be different 20 years from now or even a year from now and what we think now is probably different than what we thought five years ago and so it's just really cool how these words are dynamic and they're not just points of interest but like actually conversation pieces so they kind of change and work over time absolutely yeah so um so it was interesting, and I, I heard some good things, every, like, coming from everywhere. Um, even, like, Josh had a good... Where'd he go? Okay, he went out. But even he had, like, a good statement. Um, one of his... Um, I didn't fully get what he said, but he talked about... Um, or which word it was on, but he talked about, you know, Columbus coming into um, kind of overtake or... Um, kind of, yeah, I guess, like, overtake the culture of the Native Americans, you know? And so even for him, at such a young age, to be able to see like this links to one of these words you know whichever one and so I thought that was even powerful because like our young folks can see things that are happening and how much more can the church be a vehicle to make sure that these safe conversations are happening so I really appreciated that um so we're gonna go through I believe yes so racism um is a belief that race is the primary determinant of human traits and capacities and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. And so a lot of times we see this connected to institutional powers. So there's more, you know, it's more of the systems um, that perpetuate racism. Um, And one thing I wanted to say here is that, you know, as we were defining it, and similar to what Tim was sharing, it's like, we're defining, and this workshop wasn't for like a right or wrong ending, you know, it was for us to discuss, it was for us to just see where we 
perhaps maybe agree and disagree, but not like you're wrong or you're right or you're bad or you're not. Like it was more, how do we define this um, collectively? So any questions? Or, and feel free, if you have any questions, you could always raise your hand as we're going through. Um, Anti-racist. Um, it's not who we are, but what we are doing in the moment to yield racial equity and suggest racial equality. Um, and I have a resource. Um, I'm probably going to bring the printouts tomorrow because of technical difficulties. But I have a printout of um, this is a not like a newer word, but there is um, a scholar who is defining what this looks like, what this work looks like. And so you're anti, obviously, racism or racist. And so it's more he's talking about it, not saying like, well, I'm not this or I'm not that. But what are your like connected to impact? What are your actions looking like? So there's a way that you there's an action um, connected to it. So not just you saying it. Discrimination, the act of making or perceiving a difference in outlook, action, or treatment. And these, by the way, are defined by um, Miriam Webster, aside from the anti-racist. That wasn't in Miriam Webster. Prejudice, an irrational opinion, judgment, or attitude of hostility directed against an individual, a group, a race, or their supposed characteristics. So I know people were saying these two, these two are very, very close. And so it's often hard to define. Microaggression, a comment or action that subtly and often unconsciously or unintentionally expresses a prejudiced attitude toward a member of a marginalized group, such as a racial uh, minority. And so a microaggression, it's a, like we were saying, some of these are buzzwords. A microaggression is connected to perhaps a stereotype. So for instance, and we'll get to stereotype, but for instance, um, if someone is walking down the street and they see someone who they perceive to be dangerous, they may either cross the street, like that can be a microaggression. So they may just do it subconsciously or they may look and say, oh, this is, you know, this person's dangerous, they're of a different race and I'm just crossing the street to be safe. Or I'm walking past a certain person and let's say they have a hoodie on and I'm like going to grab my purse and make sure or switch my purse to the other side. So that can be a microaggression. And so the person who is walking toward that person, they may say, oh, why did they switch their bag? You know, and so it's it, it's connected to a stereotype. And so that's an example where, it, like I said, it says uncon it might be subtly and often unconsciously or unintentionally um, expressed. So then that brings the stereotype. I probably should have switched them. But it's something conforming to a fixed or general pattern, especially a standard mental picture that is held in common by members of a group that represent an, oversimpl an oversimplified opinion, prejudiced attitude, or uncritical judgment. So that could be, you know, we hear it often like, you know, Asians are smart, right? So what does that mean for an Asian that's not smart? You know, or we may hear that, you know, black folks eat chicken, right? But I'm vegan. <laughs> okay, you know, like, so that could be kind of awkward if we're in the conversation, you know? Um, so these are like stereotypes. And so you have to think the person on the other side, what do they do? Like, if someone says a comment, they're just like, oh, okay, you know, they have to kind of flow with it. Um, and so that can get a little awkward. Cultural appropriation, um, supposed to be the, not he. 
Um, unacknowledged or inappropriate adoption of the customs, practices, ideas, etc., of one people or society by members of another, and typically more dominant people or society. So it could be, I'll use, you know, Asian, for example, like, um, I know in the past there's always been like, there was like these hairstyles, so you like kind of sw- flip your hair and then you put the two sticks in, like the chopsticks. <laughs> Right, like that could be if I do it, that's that could be considered cultural appropriation because I'm not Asian. Um, and if there's like a religious perspective or if there's a sacred something, I wouldn't know because I haven't asked, I haven't, you know, received permission to do it. Um, another big thing that we see um, connected to this is our locks. I know, like a lot of people talk about, you know, folks who have locks or dreadlocks, and if that is whether that's cultural appropriation or not. Um, And so for me, I can only say for myself that um, while I do see it as something connected to culture because I have locks, I don't necessarily think that everyone who has them that's not black is, you know, appropriated them. So like it's it gets tricky because we're all in America. Right. There's this melting pot. There's this hope that everyone gets, you know, gets along and things like that. Or even when we talk about the body of Christ, like we all love each other. Um, but it gets tricky, right? And so we have to decide, um, are we, where are we in terms of the kingdom, right? Um, white privilege. Um, is a societal privilege that benefits people whom society identifies as white in some countries um, beyond what is commonly expressed um, by non-white people under the same social, political, or economic circumstances? And this definition came, I believe this definition was from Oxford, because it's not in Miriam yet. Um, But this is just connected to uh, the privileges that some folks may not realize that they have. And I have a resource connected to that, um, and it defines out, like, what those might look like. Um, White savior, a white person who acts in a way as if to save a person of color, poor person, beyond, and this is, you know, this is just the more, I guess, regular definition. So this is beyond just discipleship. Um, and there's assumption that they need or want saving. You know, so what does it look like if you go to, let's say, they say third world. Some folks say third world country. You go and you decide to take a picture, you know, with a whole bunch of poor orphans. Um, and you post it on Facebook and say, oh, look what I did. You know, like, is that, is that an example of this? Um, and then cultural competency um, is the ability to understand, communicate with, and, and effectively interact with people across cultures. Cultural competence encompasses being aware of one's own worldview, um, developing attitudes toward cult- towards cultural differences, gaining knowledge of different cultural practices and worldviews. And so one thing, this is like one of the goals that like I believe our church can have because there's so many cultures in our church. And so if we're competent and we know um, or we're asking how, you know, how should we approach this or how should we have this conversation based on someone's, you know, culture and background, then we won't have these awkward conversations where we say, you know, oh, sis, like I know, again, I'll use the chicken one, but I know you love chicken. It's like, how do you know? Like you just met me, you know, yesterday or whatever it may be. And so... Um, yeah, I, I feel that we definitely have that, um, we have that opportunity. So this is more of where it gets to me, myself, and my, like, I put this is my ministry and research. 
So as a disciple, I've been around going on 12 years, so time is flying. Um, and God has done so many amazing things, many of which you guys have seen in my life, right? And so for me, I felt that this is my ministry and connected to that. It's also my research. Um, and I have to disclaim, I'll define this in a minute, but I have to disclaim that um, my department is, is not as, is not fired up about Christianity. I'll just say that. Um, and, you know, they'll tell you. Um, but in many ways, there's, there's always this fine line between theory and practice, right? And so, um, yeah, so there's just that. And so one thing that our department teaches is about Afrocentricity. So it's about centering experiences of African people in Africa, allowing them to be agents of their experience or story. And so this is a lot like this is meaning for myself, Octavia, how have my experiences influenced the way I see the world and taking that into consideration. So it's not contrary to Christ and or anything. It's how do I see the world and how does my experience like how am I an agent of my story? Connected to that, I also have been studying Afronography. So this is the observation and describing of African experiences from a black perspective. So they're very similar, um, but I've been looking at how um, I help children, the ones I work with in high school, even myself, to write our narrative. So how does 11-year-old black boy write a narrative of himself, of his family? Um, and even of the people who've come before him, right? Like of his family tree. So that's something that I've been exploring and trying to um, create. And I will be reading some of that to you today um, as it pertains to race. And so one thing I wanted to look at too, connected, we talked about words and defining them, but connected to that is also that language. Um, language is really important because it, it, kind of, it defines what you're talking about. And so here's a chart and we'll go through this. So some of the things I pulled out were things that we kind of know and see. So for instance, black, these three words, we have black market, black sheep, and black knight. When we talk about these different things, they have negative connotations to them, right? Like the black market is a market that like you get things either like illegal or like you bootleg movies. And so it's interesting that um, when we think of like black people or the, the definition or the name black, there is also market sheep and night. When we think of black sheep, right? Oh, I'm the black sheep of the family. That's usually more like a negative. You're not being treated as, if you think of a child, let's say, you're not being treated well. Um, and even when you think of like darkness or black night, it's like, I mean, I'm afraid of the dark. I mean, I can say that. And so it's like, there's some bad things that may happen at night, but there's, there's that. Um, the other thing is slaves. That's a... I mean, that defines the time, but then there's also a better way to describe what actually happened, right? Like a slave is like connected to like, not like an occupation, but when you say a slave, it's like, that's who that person is. But that's not exactly, that's not at all who was taken from their homeland. There were Africans who were enslaved. And so this gives back that, um, that centering, it gives back that agency to that person and sees that person as a human being. So consider that transition as you talk about it. But it's not, this is not, a, when we talk about language, this is not like a policing thing where it's like, oh, you said that, right? But it's more like, wow, like there's a difference between seeing someone as a, as a slave and treating them like one and then seeing someone as enslaved. 
Um, also, there's this idea of like, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but there's like this angry black man or woman. So when someone expresses perhaps passionately, right, or even their tone might be kind of high, oh, you know, why are you angry? Is that person angry or are they passionate? I think that's something that we have to also think about um, because there is this criminality, there is this criminalization of the black body that has happened historically in this country. So we have to be mindful of that. The same thing with thugs, thief, gangster, looter. If you hear those words and you close your eyes, what race is that person most often? Um, and so for me, I mean, I can't speak for everyone. Again, using I statements, I know when I hear these words, I think of a black person. I don't see thugs, thieves, gangsters, looters as white people. But this is my truth, so I don't, I'm not sure. We can talk more about that. Um, the N-word, obviously, we don't use it. Um, and we can, like, it's a longer discussion about who does, who doesn't. Um, but that's, again, that's language. And that's connected to, you know, how people see themselves. In addition, the Atlantic slave trade. We were taught in school that it's an Atlantic slave trade. But what is the Atlantic? It's an ocean. The ocean did not enslave people. The ocean did not send a wave onto the African continent to pick up people and forcefully bring them over. So that's something that, like, why is that the name of the slave? Like, why is that the name? So, I mean, not saying we have to change three words to now, what, five, but there were European people who traded enslaved Africans or the European slave trade. That's what happened. And so why is it that we don't, we don't speak of it that way, right? Like we speak of it as if the ocean enslaved people. Um, so yes, it sounds silly, but when you internalize it over time, the blame is switched, right? To the ocean. Um, so that's just that. Um, okay, so this is more of my personal experience here. Um, let's see, daily life of being black and Christian. All right, so I'll just put, I'm not gonna, that okay so i don't know oh yeah the main verse national climate on race okay so we know in the world there right there are so many things i um within the last two weeks i was well yeah within the last two weeks i was looking at different instances of racism in the news and i didn't get through all of it but within the last two weeks i did notice that there were about four there are about four stories that came out of portland lewiston within just in maine um, one was around um, two men who had beat up a black man, well, two black men, one in Lewiston, one in Portland, they linked them together, so that was one. Another one was there was a teacher or educator in either Lewiston or Portland, I don't remember which one, but they were kind of investigating because they said some racial comment to a student. Um, the third one, I, was it a main... Yes, it was someone in politics in Maine. Um, well, this was more women, more like sexism, but um, he talked about um, how if he provided um, like feminine products to women in jail, it would be like a country club. And then the last thing, which is not really big, um, but it happened like, well, about two weeks ago. Wait, what's today's date? The 23rd. So about maybe 10 days ago that there was a black man, a Muslim man that was killed, that was shot um, in Portland. And so and I went to my job um, 
where I used to work the other day and there were folks um, upset obviously about it and they were trying to get more stories about it but like nothing has really been put out um and so I was just like wow there are not many black people in Maine as it is but why is it that this person's being shot and so there's there are similarities between the overall national climate but there's also things that are happening like right here in our neighborhood and so what better opportunity for us to act as a church um to either know about it, but also be able to have the cultural competency to talk about it. Um, and so obviously there's the kingdom versus the world, right? And so I think of it as life and doctrine, right? We have to be able to, um, you know, watch our doctrine. We know what our doctrine is. Um, and then also be able to match our life to that too. Like what good is our doctrine if our life, when we're at work, when we're at school, when we're just out and about doesn't match, you know? How can we welcome people into our kingdom and feel safe if that's not what's being displayed outside? So for me, that's a personal conviction of mine to be sure to watch my life and doctrine. Um, and so quickly, uh, my experiences in Maine. So overall, you guys know I was here for four years, back and forth kinda, um, but I really enjoyed being here in Maine. It was great. Um, I learned a lot. I actually learned a lot about culture when I was here uh, because I worked at adult ed I was able to see more of what it means to help folks to get hired um, and find employment here Um, but there were some weird things that happened like when I was here so one instance was I um, was standing waiting for a bus and there was a white gentleman who drove past and he like looked at me and I looked at him and we just kind of looked at each other And then he came around and he almost like gestured as if I would get in his car. And so I was just like, what is that about? You know, like, yes, I'm standing, I'm waiting for a bus, but I'm not waiting to be picked up. I'm not being solicited. Like, I don't know what's going on. And so I don't know whether to, when stuff like this happens to me, I don't know whether to react or not react or what does that look like, right? Like as a disciple, And so that's something where I was just like, okay, that's weird. Let me turn. And it wasn't dark. So that's another thing. It was like maybe dusk, but it wasn't dark outside. So that was strange. Um, And I've also talked to other sisters of color who have lived here. And they've also agreed that that is something that's happened to them. Um, And another time when I lived in South Portland, I was walking. And there was two guys, two white men who drove past. They were like younger um, maybe, I don't know, high schoolers, maybe freshmen. Um, and they stopped the car and I was like, hey, do you want to get in my car? Again, I don't know you. I don't know. I'm walking to the bus. So I don't understand what that's about. I can't tell you because for me, it's illogical. But I, I don't. It's just for me to say that that's weird and that they're like, I'm black. This person's white. I don't know you. I know the history of this country. This is strange. So I, I'm not projecting what it means, but I, to me, it's a, there's a racial something there. Um, so that's another instance. Um, when I also was here, I was on the bus heading to work. Um, and before I got off, someone went off and they were like, there were a lot of um, black people on the bus at the time. And the person who got off at the back door was like, bye, N-words. Just, and I'm like, I'm from New York. I've never, and which, what was so bad about that day was that was actually my birthday. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, great. This is how we start the day. But I had never been called that ever before. 
Um, I don't even like it's hard for me to even pull up these different things because I don't feel like these things happen to me often. Um, but they do. And when they do, I'm like, is there a is there a connection? Is there not like perhaps there's some ignorance on some people's part? Like, sure. But it's just something that you're like, if this happens every day, you know, at some point I get sad or I get frustrated and it's like, what do I do? You know, and that's really the question that I have. And so for me, I feel like, you know, having this conversation in church is important because this is my like ministry. You know, this is where I do feel safe and where I feel like we can have this conversation. And if I don't feel like we can have this conversation here, where am I going to have this conversation? Because I don't want to have it out there. You know, oh, I don't want to have it with my coworkers because um, we don't share the same standard. Um, so that's a few of my experiences. Um, we can talk offline if there's any other conversations. Um, and so the last thing I wanted to talk about are some hurtful phrases I've heard in the church um, and that some others have shared with me as well. Um, and so let me go. Okay, so hurtful things that have been said. Um, and so when I say hurtful, it's hurtful because of how it makes, it may make a person of color feel by what's being said. It's not that I think someone's saying it to hurt a disciple of color, but it is internalized and it can be hurtful. Um, and so this is something I hear a lot. When asked about our diversity in the church, I hear people say, our church has interracial marriage. Okay, because black and white people get married like we're diverse. I, and I'm not the only one who heard it, so there's that. So the implication is we are diverse, you should come, you will feel safe. Um, there's no racism here and feel free to express your concerns, right? So that's what I hear and that's what some folks hear. So there's that. There is, um, you cannot be black and Christian. You're a disciple first and only. Yes, we are disciples, but the implication is you have to forfeit one part of your identity that is seen, um, your uniqueness or blackness is a sin. So that's something that I feel I can't speak. And there are some folks who agree. But for me, like, it would be great if in church I felt safe and things are good. But when I walk outside, I felt the same way. Like, when people see me, they see black. Like, I'm a black woman. That's what they see first and foremost. So, yes, I'm a disciple. But they won't know until I start to talk to them and, you know, interact with them. So the first thing they're going to see is I'm black. And then when we talk, they'll see that I'm a disciple and so that's something that is hard. And for me, in the beginning of my discipleship was very hard because I felt like I couldn't be black. I felt like I had to, I felt like I had to be a robot in many ways. I felt like I couldn't cry. I felt like I couldn't express any concerns because there was fear that, I don't know, like I would change the church culture. I don't even know. But for me, I felt like it wasn't until, really until I came here that I felt like because we're such a small church, I was able to, um, like, be myself, like, holy, and also um, embrace, like, my talents and gifts. Because I couldn't really explore my gifts because I was just like, oh, my gosh, like, let me not be too black. I don't know. Like, it sounds silly, perhaps, but I felt like I just had to be a disciple, whatever that just means, without being black, which is kind of impossible to do. But that's just that. Um... There's also been this dating weirdness. I only date either white, black, sisters, brothers, um, or kind of exotic looking. 
So this is weird, right? But it's, it's that. So the implication, you know, I can have a type, see someone as, you know, kind of like a hot um, commodity and have these mixed beautiful babies. So again, sounds silly, right? Or maybe there's giggles, but these are some beliefs. And so again, I'm not here to say like, you can't have your type or don't say these things or I'm just wondering like what like there's something deeper to all these things right. these hurtful yeah. things there's something there's a fear in there right there's an uncertainty and so how are we being culturally confident so we don't have these things be said and people have to internalize them you know and like I was trying to think of others and two that I did think of um, are, you know, for folks that are mixed or, you know, more of a bronze or brown skin, you know, folks are saying, well, you're not really black. But if they identify as black, then they're black. Like, they're telling you they are. So how can you tell them, you know, that they're not? Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then also when folks say, you know, um, a lot we get here, like in Maine when I was here, you know, like, where are you from, Right. I can't possibly be from Maine because I'm, I mean, I'm not, but what if I was, but what if I was born in Maine? Like, obviously I'm from away because I'm in Maine and Maine is very white. So that's something too. Um, and then connected to that whole, you know, like nationality, because nationality is where you're born and then ethnicity is more, you know, the cultural connection. You know, when someone tells you, if you say like, oh, where you're from, like for instance, for me, where you're from, I'm like New York. And people are like, really? Okay. From New York. And they're like, well, what are you? And I'm like, black. And they're just like, what else? Or African-American, okay. Um, and so people are like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I'm Jewish. Or I'm Irish. Or I'm, okay. Like, we're not here talking about ethnicities. You know, like, if you're asking me where I'm from, sure, I can tell you. But it's not for you. Like, if this is the question is for me, it's not for us to now all everybody list their ethnicities. Like, that's strange. Like, in a conversation, you know, and now if we're talking like, oh, everyone, let's talk about your cultural roots or we're having international potluck, we'll talk about it, let's talk about it. But it can be kind of, it can kind of take away from the person sharing what their difference is if you're like, oh, well, I'm Jewish, you know, and sometimes we celebrate Hanukkah. I don't know. I'm just thinking of an example. But yeah, so these are some hurtful things that have been said. Um, and we can talk more about them later, but. I mean, I know that, you know, moving forward, we definitely have to, or it would be great to be able to, like, have these conversations in a safe space or brave space. I like brave space better because safe is more of a buzzword now. Um, but, you know, I truly believe that our church has a capacity um, and love to be able to speak to these issues on race, you know, inside and even outside the church. Like, there's... There's no reason we can't do it. Um, we are Christ's ambassadors, right? He gives us that, that protection, that power to be able to have these conversations and perhaps even lead these conversations. Like, it would be great if all of you can also bring this somewhere, like whether it's work or somewhere else. Um, you know, you may, again, you may not like personally get it today, right? Um, but this is the beginning of understanding. So feel free to lean into that um, uncomfortable feeling. Um, accountability, you know, be mindful of your language. You know, it means a lot. And this, again, this is not about like grammar or language policing. This is about like, you know, am I saying something that could really be offensive and I don't even know, you know, or am I humble enough to allow someone to let me know like, hey, that wasn't, you may not have, should have said that in that moment. Um, 
And so I do have a recommended reading list. Again, I wasn't able to print the stuff out, but I do have some reading lists that connect from, um, that talk about like different areas. So like education, health, because one thing I can share is that for me, I mean, you guys know a lot of, I had some health issues when I was here, but when you experience different, whether it's prejudices, discriminations on different levels, whether it's health, you know, when you get misdiagnoses or if it's, you know, education where someone feels like you shouldn't be there or whether it's the police, you get, you know, pulled over. Like when you get those multiple things in different areas, it has a lot of impact on you. You know, it's not just like, oh, only at school does this happen. So when I'm not at school, I'm good. You know, it's it's everywhere. You know, it's in health, it's in education, it's in police, it's in everywhere. And so that's why I want to give you that. Um, and I think, I think, oh, encouragement to the church. So my encouragement, you know, we are the church. What a great opportunity we have to act. Um, we have an opportunity and responsibility to get this right, I believe. Um, and then what are the best ways, you know, to encourage communities to feel safe and at home in the kingdom? So that's kind of a question I'm, you know, leaving you all with. Um, and as you think about today, for me, again, the reason why I called it an urgent call to actions, because, you know, what can we individually or even collectively be doing like tomorrow or even in the upcoming weeks that really show that we can um, we can get this right. We can um, really be a champion for diversity the way we want to be and that we also feel like we can have these conversations to figure out what will work best, you know, for Maine, but even like our church as a whole. Um, so that is it. Awesome, guys.